Good evening. My name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. It's an honor and privilege to be with you all tonight. Glad to share this Christmas Eve with you. I love looking out and seeing all the little ones gathered here tonight. And please uh, don't worry if they're noisy. Uh, it just reminds me of home. So, uh, I, Speaking of little ones, as I shared a few weeks ago, there's exciting news in our family. Uh, by God's grace, uh, my wife is right now carrying our fourth child. And uh, the other day I found myself reminiscing about what it was like uh, the very first time that that pregnancy test came back positive. Uh, how ecstatic Stacy and I were and how exciting it was to share the news with friends and family. And yet I couldn't help but notice that the fourth time around, it's not quite the same. Which is, which is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Because I, know, I have many dear friends who would give anything to have one child, much less four. And even beyond that, how, how crazy is it to even wrap our minds around the fact that God has placed a human being inside my wife's womb? Like, how could one not be overjoyed by that news? And yet, the reality is, sometimes the familiar has a way of losing its luster, doesn't it? There's probably no more familiar story in all of Scripture to that of the birth of baby Jesus. Many of us could probably say it by heart. And yet, in spite of its familiarity, my charge for you tonight is that you would refuse to allow this story to lose its luster. That tonight, as we look at this ancient story, that we would look with fresh eyes and that we would marvel at it as if we were looking at it for the very first time. Amen? Can we do that together? I want to read our text one more time and then I'm going to pray for us. Amen. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Let's pray. Father, as we spend a few minutes here looking at your word and allowing it to speak to us, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, uh, that we would be ready, that we would be primed to receive from you. Uh, that you would give us this truth that is probably very familiar to many of us in a fresh way tonight, that we would see it in all its glory and splendor, and we would be compelled to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I spent a summer working with college students in Branson, Missouri, lovely place if you've never been there. Uh, and there was this one student in our group, his name was Joel. Uh, and Joel was a little nonconformist, if you will. He, he was a handful, and his clothing typically matched his personality. He always wore uh, loose-fitting clothing, a few sizes too big in my opinion, and he had these images on his clothes that were kind of edgy and kind of dark. And so one day, our group was scheduled to go on a field trip, and Joel and I decided to have some fun. We decided we were going to swap clothes for a day. I think we have a picture here. I'm going to show you. So that's what that looks like. Um, 
Joel on the right, me on the left, and we decided we were going to do this and just kind of see what happened. And I think both of us were pretty shocked at how this played out. Uh, So we go on this field trip, and as soon as we arrived, immediately I could feel the disdain towards me from the staff that worked there. Everyone saw me as a potential problem, and they began to treat me as such. And not only that, but one of the staff at this place that we were visiting began to ask Joel all these questions. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It took me a while to realize that they thought Joel was the leader of the group because of the way that he was dressed. And I can remember vividly over and over and over again, I wanted to switch back. I didn't like how I was being treated as a nuisance, as a potential problem. And Joel, he was loving it. He'd never gotten this much attention in his life. Isn't it amazing how a little wardrobe change can so dramatically change one's experience? Brothers and sisters, that was a playful experiment that lasted a few hours and had no significant consequences on my life. But can you imagine what this wardrobe change, if you will, for Jesus was like? This 33-year-long wardrobe change. You see, the King of Kings, verse 6 says, was in the form of God. That means that before he came down, his form, his appearance was the same as God the Father. He was clothed in glory and in majesty. Brothers and sisters, we could not have even gazed upon him. We would have been blinded or maybe even killed. He was that glorious and beautiful. And yet the verse goes on to say that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? It means that he'd laid down his glory. He took off his God clothes and he put on human skin. And brothers and sisters, that is the outrageousness of the gospel, of the Christmas story. Listen to how J.I. Packard and G.K. Chesterton describe it. You see, the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. The Word became flesh, a real human baby. The mystery of the incarnation is unfathomable. We cannot explain it. We can only formulate it. God who knows no before or after entered time and space. God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. The ominous restraints of mortality. The child that played with moon and sun is playing with a little hay. Can you imagine how many times Jesus wanted to switch back? And yet the fact that he didn't is really the heart of the outrage of the Christmas story. What makes Christmas so outrageous is that the God of the universe stooped so low. He gave up so much. We live in a society that eats entitlement for breakfast. And yet the reality is none of us deserve all that we have. But Jesus, the one who who is truly entitled... The one who really deserves it all laid it all down. All of his privilege, his power, his status, his dominion. It's absolutely outrageous. But why? Why did Jesus have to stoop so low? Why was the outrage necessary? I think the answer to that is that the outrage was absolutely necessary so that this gospel gift, this Christmas gift, would be available to all people. I don't know if you've seen it before, but I love the show Undercover Boss. 
Uh, for those of you who hadn't seen it on this show, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company will disguise himself or herself as an entry-level employee, and they'll go undercover in their own business. And the beauty of the show is that the employees are willing to be honest with the boss and say things they would never, never otherwise be willing to say only because they believe the boss is one of them. Brothers and sisters, that's the heart, that's the motive behind the incarnation. Verse 7, but he, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, the God of the universe was full aware that the only way he could really make this gift available was to become one of us. To offer this gift face to face. Not king to servant, but servant to servant. And that's really good news, isn't it? It's good news because he stooped low enough for you. I don't know what has been told to you, maybe your family or your classmates or your teachers or or maybe even the church. They may have labeled you as insignificant, as unworthy, as disposable goods. But our Savior profoundly disagrees. He profoundly disagrees, and he communicates his objection by entering into the dredges of society with us. And so no matter what narrative you have been offered, that you've been fed, what story you've been told about your lack of worth or value, Jesus obliterates that with his lowly birth. He had to stoop really low, low enough to come get me and low enough to come get you. And if you're here tonight, and you haven't been in church for quite some time. Maybe you only come once or twice a year. Maybe you can't even remember the last time you were in a worship service. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you to hear me tonight. Jesus has stooped low for you. He's not concerned with your church attendance. He's not concerned with what this past year has looked like. I can tell you because I know him, he's delighted that you're here. And he so desperately wants to see, he wants you to see that all the sacrifices he's made were for you. He made them for you. He, he laid down his power and privilege for you. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He stooped low for you. I hope and pray that this Christmas you might see this gift in a whole new light and that you might be compelled to come back home to Him. So now, brothers and sisters, I've, as we prepare to leave tonight, I want to offer you some parting advice. We've seen that this Christmas story, it's outrageous. It's outrageous because God became man because he stooped so low that the king of kings would lay it all down for our sake. And we see that he did that because he wanted this Christmas present, this gift to be available for all people, regular people like you and me. But the thing that I want us to take home tonight as we head back to our houses and prepare for Christmas morn is that in order for us to truly enjoy the Christmas story, we also have to stoop low. How, how do we do that? How do we, the creation, stoop low? 
Brothers and sisters, the way that we stoop low is like Jesus. We have to lay down our power and our privilege. We have to stop trusting in our ability to earn it, to acknowledge that we don't deserve it, and then we stoop down like a beggar and just receive it. So contrary, right, to the message of our culture. The culture says do more, work harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And even the church, we try to spiritualize this. It's Christmas, so we think we need to read our Bibles more. We need to be more faithful in our family devotions, give more, serve more, pray more, on and on and on. But instead of all that, brothers and sisters, I challenge you this Christmas to throw off the oughts and the shoulds and the have-tos. And I encourage you to simply frivolously enjoy that which Christ is offering to us. To stoop low and feast. I want to close with some words from an acquaintance of mine. Her name is Charlotte Getz. And I hope that these words are as nourishing to you as they have been for me this Advent season. She says, May you find comfort this Christmas in taking your eyes off of Mary who labored, Joseph who led, the wise men who gave, the angels who announced, the star that shone, or the shepherds who responded. There is a time for all these things, but for now, may God grant you and me the freedom and grace to remember the cow who offered nothing at all. May you find nourishment in the spiritual food, the magic, the rest, the wonder and goodness of the mighty Savior lying in our feeding trough. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe that you sent your Son and that he stooped so low on our behalf. It's outrageous. It's incomprehensible, unfathomable that you, the God of the universe, would come down and become like us. We know that you did it because you long to offer this gift to us face to face. And I pray that tonight and tomorrow that we would enjoy, that we would feast upon this gift, that we would stoop low, humble ourselves to be those who simply receive that which you have to offer us. Father, we're so grateful this Christmas, and would you warm our hearts once again by the outrageousness of this beautiful Christmas story. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.